This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. From Here Arizona, this is Unaffordable. I'm Katherine Davis Young. In our first episode, you met Chanel Sinclair. Like many thousands of people in the Phoenix area, she's had a tough time finding an affordable place to live. She moved here in 2015 with her teenage son, Lorenz. Magoo! Oh, I call him Magoo. That's his nickname. My mom called him Magoo because she said when he was born, he looked like Mr. Magoo. I, I guess it's a cartoon character in her day. Lorenz is 19 years old. For the record, he no longer looks like Mr. Magoo. And he was in his room while we were talking to Chanel, but we got him to come out to answer one question. We were wondering if you could describe your mom. What kind of person is she? Well, like, um, like she hard, yeah, like hard working and stuff like that. It's good. I, I'm just my questions. Um, like clean. She likes to clean up a lot. I don't know. She's just a positive person. From what I can tell, Chanel is a really hard worker. She's a single mom, she works full-time, and she's going to school to become a development specialist. What will getting this degree, finishing your training, what will will that change for you? (laughs) Um, The income, (laughs) for one. Chanel first moved to Arizona to take care of her sister, who was having health issues. And after a few months living here, she got a job. She works at a program for kids with special needs and it's clear she loves what she does. But she's not making very much money, and taking care of herself, her sister, her son, her students, that's a lot. Talk about, like, what seems reasonable to you? What's affordable in your mind? 30% of your income. And so I'm able to afford that. I'm able to afford um, all of my utilities and still have some money left over. When you start talking about housing and affordability, that number, 30%, comes up a lot. Housing affordability is relative. What you can afford depends on how much you make. And 30% is the common standard for how much of your take-home pay you should put toward housing costs to have enough left over for other expenses and maybe save a little too. It's the number that agencies like the Department of Housing and Urban Development use to decide who's overly burdened and where to dedicate funding for housing programs. But when rents rise and people start owing 40% of their paychecks, or 50%, or more to their landlords, that comes with consequences. Last year, 25,000 families were evicted from their homes in Phoenix, and 45,000 were evicted in Arizona. That's a 400% increase over the last 10 years. Kelly McGowan is deputy director of the nonprofit Wildfire, formerly known as the Arizona Community Action Association. It advocates to end poverty, and one of the group's main strategies is to promote higher wages in the state. A 2018 Harvard study found almost half of all renters in Phoenix are putting more than that 30% of each paycheck toward housing. And that's based on data from a few years ago. Rents have continued to climb and wages aren't keeping up. For Maricopa County right now, we're looking at about $16.69 an hour is what somebody needs to earn to rent a one-bedroom apartment. And just between this year and last year, it's gone up about a dollar in Maricopa County. 
The minimum wage in Arizona is set to go up to $12 an hour in 2020. Right now it's $11. There's a big difference between $11 an hour and 1669. McGowan says the job market in Arizona is still feeling the impact of the 2008 recession. We lost a lot of high-wage jobs, and we replaced those with low-wage jobs. So there's that component. A lot of people who were making more pre-recession came back into the economy making less than they were before. I mean, Arizona is a service-based economy, so we've got a lot of service-based jobs, you know, restaurants, hotels. A lot of big companies have come in, but they've brought in almost like telemarketing jobs. So you may be working for a big Fortune 500 company, but you're working in their call center. About half of Arizona jobs pay less than $15 an hour. And for the average rent in the Phoenix area, that isn't going to cut it. It's not a lack of jobs, but it is a lack of well-paying jobs that causes affordability problems. When you have a low-wage economy, even slight increases in the cost of housing is going to be felt. Phoenix historian and journalist John Talton says housing prices aren't that high here compared to other parts of the country. But compared to what people in Arizona actually make, they're way out of proportion. In the Seattle area, there's 45,000 jobs of Amazon, about the same amount of my, for Microsoft. And those are all high-end, very well-paid, high-skilled jobs at what I call the headwaters of the technology economy. We're not there, and there's not a sense of urgency to get there. I think there might be people who would hear you say that, though, and say, but, oh, Microsoft came to Seattle, and now Seattle's too expensive. It's Well, I mean, ask Youngstown, Ohio, whether they would rather be Seattle or whether they would like the situation they're in. The median household income in Phoenix is about $5,000 per year lower than the national average, according to census data. People in Phoenix make less than people in Boston, Baltimore, Denver, Dallas, Atlanta. And as Talton sees it, Phoenix needs to address its low-wage economy or the city could die. That might feel like an impossible future for Phoenix. When you drive around the city, you see construction cranes and new buildings. The Phoenix area is definitely growing. About 200 people move here every day. But will they keep coming if they can make more money somewhere else? Or if they already live here, will they stay? Creating jobs, boosting incomes, these are things politicians spend their whole careers trying to figure out. It's not easy. Arizona voters took the issue of minimum wage into their own hands in 2017, and the measure passed with almost 60% of the vote. Some say minimum wage in the state is still not high enough. Others say it's now too high. Earlier this year, state lawmakers proposed lowering minimum wage for younger workers, though that bill didn't make it through the legislature. The argument against raising wages is usually that small businesses won't be able to afford to pay their workers, and employers won't want to set up shop in Arizona. But Kelly McGowan thinks the impact of not continuing to raise wages could be even worse for business. If people aren't living in community, they can't be starting businesses in community, they can't be going to restaurants in the community, they can't be spending their dollars. I mean, it's just, so then the business ceases to exist at all. I mean, instead of just having to pay a little bit more in wages, like they're gonna have to close their doors because there's nobody there to patronize the business. 
me and my son, we wanted to, we were going to move back, but then I got to thinking about the stress and I'm established here with my benefits and all of that. So I was like, you know what? That's what made me stay. Chanel isn't moving back to California anytime soon, but she did consider it, especially when she realized how hard it would be to make ends meet in Arizona. You know, my sister has four kids, and even though it was okay with her and she had, had a big house and everything, it was nothing like my own because I've always been self-sufficient and always had my own place. And when I moved out here, I was like, well, I need to get a place. So she started looking and looking but she couldn't afford any of the apartments she saw, so she applied for a Section 8 voucher to help cover her rent. If you have a Section 8 voucher, you pay 30% of your income toward rent, and the voucher covers the remainder, up to a certain amount. It's a federal program, and they're adjusted for an area's median income. So in Phoenix, a two-person household like Chanel's with an income of $26,500 per year or less can qualify for Section 8. And Section 8 Housing Choice vouchers are just one of a number of safety nets in this country to help people when they can't afford housing. There's public housing, there are programs for veterans, for people with disabilities, for seniors. About 45,000 households in Arizona receive some form of federal housing assistance. And this isn't a matter of thousands of people who just aren't working. The majority of people receiving housing assistance in Arizona are like Chanel. They do have jobs if they're able to work, but their wages are too low to cover the cost of living. You have to be at your, I won't say at your lowest, well yeah, at your lowest to be like, I have to depend on this or I have to depend on that. Hundreds of thousands of low-income families in Arizona are paying way more than they can afford in rent. The nonpartisan research group Center on Budget and Policy Priorities estimates for every household in Arizona receiving housing assistance, there are five more households that need it. This means there are long wait lists to get a Section 8 voucher in Phoenix and in most big U.S. cities. But even when people do manage to get a Section 8 voucher, there's no guarantee they'll actually be able to find an apartment where they can use it. I was looking for a place in my sister area, in the nicer area, because I didn't know. I, I didn't know. Some of them say, no, 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 we don't accept that. And I'm like, okay, all they had to do is say no one time. <laughs> I'm serious. I am serious. And so that's that's a real scare at this point because we don't have enough housing providers that will step forward and say, yes, I'll take the housing choice voucher. Sherry Horbaz is with the Southwest Fair Housing Council. Her organization teaches landlords about anti-discrimination laws. They're also the ones who investigate when landlords and sellers do discriminate. You can't be discriminated against under federal law because of seven protected characteristics. And those are race, religion, color, national origin, disability, familial status, and gender slash sex. What about income or Section 8 vouchers? Well, and that's difficult. There are some cities and states that have added a source of income, but Arizona, sadly, right now is not one of those. If you're a landlord in Arizona, you can't deny someone a home just because she uses a wheelchair or because she's Jewish or a mother. But it's perfectly within your rights to turn her away because she's poor. And there are reasons for that. Landlords want to be sure they're going to get paid by their renters. 
and when it comes to accepting Section 8 vouchers, as with all things government, there is a certain amount of bureaucracy and red tape involved. Section 8 properties are subject to an annual inspection, for example. In the past, some of the cases, landlords weren't getting paid from the um, Housing Choice voucher in a timely manner, and that can mess with your income as a business owner as well. But Horvaz worries a lot of landlords are making the decision about whether or not to accept Section 8 vouchers based on assumptions about lower-income people. Sometimes it's the landlord may have a negative sense of that population. Uh, meaning that there's, they cause more damage. Um, maybe they're not the greatest tenant. But uh, again, we implore them to look at a case-by-case basis and not necessarily look at just because it's a housing choice voucher. And even though Chanel has felt the frustration of getting turned away by landlords around town, she understands where they're coming from. I used to be a judgmental person, yes. And, and, you know, I wish my sister was here. We were just talking about that. I used to really be like that. But I think when you go through it, you look at it at a different perspective. You have to be in that situation to walk in a person's shoes and say, you know what, I remember when I was there. I remember when I had to rely on this program or this program. In addition to being discouraging, hurtful, maybe a little embarrassing, when you're calling or driving around trying to find a place that will take your voucher and you keep hearing the same thing... No, no, no. It can also be stressful because timing matters. If I can't find a house when I'm out there with my housing choice voucher within a certain period of time, I run the risk of losing my voucher. Let's see, they gave me the voucher. And they gave me 90 days to look for the place, and I think I found it within a month of my voucher expiring. Yeah, what was going through your head when you were <laughs> when you were getting closer to that date? Um, a little nervous, but I said, well, if you know my voucher expires, oh well, I just have to just go and look for it, you know, just look for a place. You just would have had to pay everything out of pocket without the help of yeah. Yeah. Luckily for Chanel, after a long search for an apartment, she finally heard the words she'd been waiting for. Yes. So I was happy. But the the cons was it was on a third floor. And I was like, oh, my. I have never lived on, on top of, the, like, the first floor ever in my life. So I was like, dang, and it's, and it's three stories high with no elevator. So I was like, well, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. That's just, that's just how I look at it. Still, even with the voucher and her good budgeting, Chanel feels overly burdened by her expenses. So what can you do? How do you make ends meet when you're trying to take care of a family and hold down a job and pay rent and the budget just won't add up for you? To find out, we paid a visit to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul Dining Room down on Watkins Road, just south of downtown Phoenix. Tonight it smells like chicken wings. Um, <laughs> kind of like walking into someone's house and they've been cooking all day and you're ready to eat. <laughs> Danielle McMahon is St. Vincent de Paul's Director of Food Services. The organization runs five dining rooms across the valley and serves more than 4,000 free meals each day. So, uh, families come to us and they kind of uh, wait until we start our service. They're greeted at the door by our staff and volunteers. Uh, They're walked over to their tables, kind of like a host or hostess does at a restaurant. We welcome them to the dining room, point out the menu for the night. McMahon says most of the families here have incomes. They have homes, 
but they still need help stretching that paycheck further. Kenya Williams is here eating dinner with her kids. When we get off work and my kids get out of school, we just, and my kids' school is downtown, so we just come here and eat, and then we go home. Kenya says the free meals help her stay on budget, and she also has a Section 8 voucher to help with rent. But she says it took years on a wait list before she was actually granted a voucher. Was there any difficulty once you had the voucher then finding somewhere that would accept it? Yes, that's what happened to me. That's how I ended up homeless last year. Because when I did get my voucher to renew, you have to renew every year. There was nothing available. So I ended up homeless for three months till I found a place. And with, with kids, how, how was that? What did well, you do? We ended up, my kids stayed with a friend of theirs at school. And me and my oldest daughter, we stayed with some relatives. until we. So it took us three months to find a place. But you got a place now. Yes. So how is that? It's not the greatest place, but <laughs> there's really wasn't nothing out there. And I had to just take this place, and I'm planning to move because my lease is up in September, so hopefully we'll find something better. Kenya and her family had so much trouble finding somewhere to accept a Section 8 voucher, they ended up homeless. They have a place to stay now, but not every family is able to bounce back like they did. It's a continued trend. Uh, we don't see it ending, and it, it keeps going. Every night we see homeless families that are seeking shelter that don't have anywhere to go. McMahon says most of the families she works with are housed. But over the last few years, more and more families coming into the dining rooms have been homeless. Homelessness with families and with homeless children is, you know, everyone is in a dire emergency situation. No matter how old the kids are, no matter what level of health they're in, it's being homeless with children is a state of emergency and a state of crisis. Yeah, do you think that there is enough services in Arizona right now for the kind of amount of demand? No, there is not enough resources to fill the demand. There's not enough resources to end the crisis. Um, we need affordable housing, we need more space and services dedicated to sheltering families, um, and we need more emergency response systems. The threat of homelessness is something we heard about again and again while we were working on this podcast, from nonprofits, from politicians, and from the people experiencing it. Kelly McGowan at Wildfire says when fewer and fewer Arizonans are making enough to afford a place to live, there's only one word for it. I think we have a looming crisis. There are many people in Arizona who live comfortably. There are many people in the state who will never be at risk for homelessness. But McGowan says that doesn't mean everyone in the state won't be affected by the widening gap between wages and housing costs. The ripple effect of somebody not being able to afford their housing is, is drastic. Because if you have to vacate your housing, then you have abandoned housing, which leads to not having businesses in that community, which means businesses shut down, which, I mean, it's just, the ripple effect is, it is drastic. So who's making the decisions about what kind of housing gets built here? If we know Phoenix needs more affordable housing, why aren't we building it? We'll find out in the next episode. You 
You just listened to Unaffordable from Here, Arizona. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. Since we're a brand new show, please subscribe, leave us a review, and tell all your friends to check us out. You can find Here, Arizona wherever you get your podcasts. And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be a part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In this episode, you heard from Wildfire, the Southwest Fair Housing Council, and the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. For more information about these organizations and other Arizona nonprofits that work on the issue of housing, head over to our resource page at hearearizona.org. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, Soundbite, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by Rachel Aronoff and me, Catherine Davis-Young, with contributions from Paul Atkinson. Linda Pastore is our executive producer. Thanks for listening.